Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. It's this thing that I've come to take for granted by using an iPad for these things, is that I can just keep on iterating and removing without any problems. There are various techniques for sort of removing ink, but when you start erasing things, even pencil, you know, there's still marks left behind, there's still indentations. But with the iPad Pro, obviously, you can get around all of that. That isn't an issue. So you're not sort of worrying about these kind of little bits. You're just sort of concentrating on getting it right and getting it how you want it to be. Welcome back to iPad Pros. Today in the podcast is John Hicks of Hicks Design. We discuss his workflow, how he manages colorblindness on iOS as a designer, ergonomics, and much more. John has done design work for some really well-known products, including DuckDuckGo, Spotify, Skype, and many others. You can find examples of his work at hicksdesign.co.uk. Stay tuned until after the end music of this episode for a little bonus discussion on the Surface Pro. As a reminder, you can support the podcast over at patreon.com slash iPadPros, or by simply leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Every review helps to make the podcast more discoverable in search. Thanks to everyone that has already left a review. If you haven't, open up the podcast app and search for iPad Pros. I'd really appreciate it. With that, here's my interview with John. Enjoy. We're here today with John Hicks of Hicks Design. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me on. First off, can you introduce yourself and the work you do? Sure. I've been a freelance designer now for 17 years now. I worked for sort of charities and publishing before that. But since becoming freelance, I started off doing websites. I did a lot of icon work and logo design. You may know me from logos such as Firefox, uh, MailChimp. I also did work for Skype on their emoticons, uh, for Spotify on their iconography, things like illustration work for DuckDuckGo, and recently work for Mozilla. Those are the kind of projects you'd know me from. I do a lot of general design. I do a bit of UI design, a bit of website. But you would know me for things like logos and branding uh, and icon work. And some big names, it sounds like. Like Yeah. You would know. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that most of it's been replaced by now, you know. <laughs> so it's things right. like the work for Spotify. It was there for a few years and then uh, that's now been replaced because they've now got the huge sort of in-house design team. So everything's sort of internalized and uh, they're not using outside contractors anymore for that kind of thing. So, but yeah, there's been some, there's been some nice clients. So what attracted me to having you on the show is you recently published a post on your website about using the iPad as like your main computer. Yeah, yeah. So can you tell me about your relationship to the iPad over the years and when it kind of changed to being the device that can be that computer for you? Sure. Well, I remember the the very original iPad. I think it was about a year or so before it was available in the UK. So I had an Australian client, because it was available there, who uh, bought one for me and sent it over. So I was able to have, you know, the, the original iPad. And I still got that in a drawer. It still works, but obviously it can't be updated. And from that time, I went to an iPad Air. But with those original iPads, I didn't really use them very much. They got used a lot by children. And I've, I, I hear this a lot, that people you know, themselves don't use it. They either use their phone or their laptop, but they don't use the iPad 
uh, for anything other than you know games and and films and things for the children especially long car journeys you know an ipad was fantastic for that it wasn't really until the ipad pro came out which i didn't get till february 2016 that it started becoming something that i i actually used for work or for anything other than just simple kind of browsing or or email because the apple pencil was the big difference, right? Yeah. Or the screen size, I'm, or both? Well, I mean, the screen size helped, but it's really the pencil. I mean, for years, I've had a Wacom tablet. I think I've used Wacom's, I can't remember, since probably the late 90s, or even mid-90s. That's the kind of, the only way to get that kind of natural kind of pen experience before was to use a Wacom tablet. But I've always kind of felt there's that kind of a disconnection between your hands doing something down here on the desk yeah. And you're looking at something up on the screen. It never quite gelled for me doing that. And obviously, like a Wacom Cintiq tablet would be the solution there. I've, certainly up until a few years ago, I kind of looked at the prices and thought, no. It wasn't until the Surface Pro, the Surface Studio, and the iPad Pro and Pencil were available that I started thinking along these lines of... You know, I could get back to a kind of a natural way of, of drawing. Originally, I did, uh, trained as an illustrator. I wanted to be a wildlife illustrator. I f- found work kind of quite hard to get uh, because the market was so small in the UK at the time. I went to do design. And when I started design, it was still traditional paste at work. So you would get uh, maybe typeset some text on computers, but essentially you were, you were making the final artwork for something by cutting it out, pasting it. And there was that kind of pleasure in getting it all really sort of neatly done and, and pasted up. My kind of early career was going from things like pen, pencil, crayon, pastels, brushes, and then to things like scalpels and chinograph pencils and things. So my early career was very much these sort of handheld tools. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really until, as I say, that kind of iPad Pro and Pencil and the Surface Pro and Pen came out that I actually thought, ah, this is something that actually doesn't have to have that disconnected feel and it doesn't have to be this big, expensive second screen to buy. This is something I could actually do and have it as a kind of a portable device as well. So that was that was amazing. So something I'm curious about is there is a distinct different feeling between Apple Pencil and the tactile nature of physical, like, pens that have some resistance when you're touching the paper and things of that Mm. nature how does it translate not having the tactile feedback of resistance and other sensations you'd get during the creation process from reading online and, and watching vlogs i get the feeling that for some illustrators it's more of an issue than it is for me you are very aware of the fact that it's not pen and paper and a good example of this is recently because i did inktober uh during october so For that, I deliberately went back to using pens, pencils, paper, rather than my comfort zone, which is the iPad. And of course, you start to sort of remember all these things that were issues. So things like you run out of ink. Or there was one day I was trying to do a particular illustration and it just looked absolutely rubbish. And the more and more I worked into it, the worse it got. It's this thing that I've come to take for granted by using an iPad for these things is that I can just keep on iterating and removing without any problems. There are various techniques for sort of removing ink, but when you start erasing things, even pencil, you know, there's still marks left behind, there's still indentations. But with the iPad Pro, obviously you can 
get round all of that. That isn't an issue. So you're not sort of worrying about these kind of little bits. You're just sort of concentrating on getting it right and getting it how you want it to be. And you're on the third generation. You upgrade from first to third, right? That's right, yeah. So how are you finding the new double tap? Has that been a game changer in getting around apps to be more efficient? What's been the effect for you? It has been useful. I mean, things like I use Linear app a lot. And I know you've uh, spoken to Ged in the past about Linear app. Linear is great. It's my go-to way to get any kind of ideas down. There's a lot of obviously great drawing programs on the iPad. But what's great about Linear is the fact that it's really low friction. In Linear, I get that to change to an eraser. And in some apps, I have it set so that it reveals the color palettes. It has been useful. In some ways, I kind of find the whole storing and charging mechanism more of a boon. The fact that I can just sort of click it to the top and it's there and it's charging. That's great. I I love that probably more, I think, than the double tap. Yeah, that's never been a big thing for me because I bought into the Apple leather folios that has a place to store it. And I've got a little holder for the pencil when I'm actually at my desk. Uh, the charging's been annoying, but a little annoyance for me as far as where I put it. Yeah, I went and tried various solutions for keeping the pencil uh, with it before the sleeves came out. So I was trying things like uh, Leuchtturm do these um, pen holders for their notebooks. And they're just like these little, I think they cost about a couple of dollars and have a little sticky pad and you can take the, the backing off and you can stick it to like the stay on case. And that was working fine until one day going through airport customs in, in Heathrow in the UK, I quickly took out my iPad and the pencil just flew, you know, it just went <laughs> straight and there was no way I was getting that back. So as soon as I was on the other end, the first job was to find a, a shop to buy another pencil. Yeah. And they'd gone up £20 since the last time I'd bought them as well. So that was a that was a bit annoying. That is a recent annoyance with TSA. Prior, you could leave iPads in your bag. And a new rule is you take them out. Yeah. And I, I remember the days when the 11-inch MacBook Air did not classify as a computer that needed to be inspected because it was so tightly compacted and there wouldn't yeah. be a place to... But yeah, the, things have changed, sadly, with that. <laughs> yeah. So can you walk me through almost like a day in the life of your work what what does it look like what apps are you using what's your kind of workflow to get around and do the different things my main port of call really is as i say linear for any ideas mainly because i do a lot of icon design and because of the um get is an icon designer as well he added these icon grids to the app which i've never found anywhere else i've not found anywhere that you can get isometric grids in things like you know concepts app or you know a standard sort of grid but actually something that just lays out these various squares with a kind of uh, the, the grid inside it is brilliant. So I, I use that an awful lot. So just sketch ideas into these sort of squares and get an idea of proportions because you're always sort of designing icons to sort of fit within this sort of square boundary and make the most of the space. So that's really useful. The other app I use mostly is Affinity Designer. That was the app. That's the one that allowed me to make that transition from using my MacBook to using the iPad. Back in October, I spent a week and I said firmly, right, I'm going to, but no big deadlines this week. So I'm going to spend time. I'm going to do everything in Affinity Designer. I'm going to work through all the video tutorials. And the start of the week was quite painful. But by the end of the week, I realized there was this whole new way of doing stuff that kind of echoed what I was talking about earlier, this sort of feeling of like using pencils or scalpels or, you know, 
doing paste at work or drawing. Doing everything with a pencil was really natural. So Affinity Designer is where I spend most of my time. Like, for example, today, pretty much spent the whole day uh, using Affinity Designer and drawing up uh, the series of these like mini illustrations for a presentation I needed to do. So I've spent most of the time doing that. The only kind of various apps where I need to sort of switch back to a desktop recording this podcast is one. Another one is I'm having to do some work for a client at the moment with, with using PowerPoint. The iOS version of that is very basic compared to the desktop. There's lots of things you can't do. So I have to sort of switch back for those things. There's maybe a little bit also of things like Affinity Photo for any kind of photo work. And then all the obvious sort of communication apps like Slack for day-to-day work, Spark for email. The other thing I'm using a lot at the moment is Ulysses, as well as writing blog posts, because my blog is running text pattern, which uses textile rather than markdown as its sort of syntax. And Ulysses is great because it actually supports textile, which is kind of unheard of. You know, everything does markdown these days. So Ulysses is great for doing that, for doing blog posts. But I'm also in the process of trying to write a second version of my icon handbook that came out in uh, 2012. I want to do a sort of a newer version, up-to-date, simpler. And Ulysses is the best place for me to do that. I use that to flesh out the structure, change the order of things, the fact that I can get my thoughts down easily. So in some ways, it's kind of like linear app, put for words, you know, it's yeah. kind of low friction way of just getting all my ideas out of my head and, and getting them written down. Those were my main go-tos when I'm working on the iPad. Okay. Is not having Adobe Illustrator a problem with the work you do? Do you have to share files with people? And is the stuff you get out of Designer a problem ever? It doesn't tend to be. Because basically, most of the stuff I'm working on gets shared as SVG. So it can be anything. You know, you don't even have to have Illustrator or Affinity Designer. That's something you could open up in you know, Inkscape, for example. Mm-hmm. So that's not so much of an issue. Sometimes you will have a client who they're invested, let's say, in, in Adobe. They want the original files to be in Illustrator. Or the other one is Sketch. That's the other one that, that crops up, especially if you're doing anything um, sort of web or UI-based. People tend to want Sketch files. There's a few things like that where I need to do it. But generally, my need for Illustrator is getting much smaller. There's a few things that Illustrator can do that Affinity can't. The main thing I'm thinking about at the moment really is being able to do things like perspective or distortion or warps on artwork, which Affinity doesn't support yet. But generally, most of the stuff I need to do, I can do it in Affinity. And actually, Affinity solves a lot of problems I've had for years with Illustrator. Just little annoyances, like when you're trying to apply an effect, you always have to press preview first in Illustrator before you see anything. And this is sort of going back to the days of, you know, when you had low-powered computers and previewing effects was a quite a, an intensive process. It's like in with uh, video editing, if you're looking at the full 4K versus some, like, weird rendered version because it can't do the full thing on that computer. Definitely. Other little weirdness, like I have to work in HSB format for color rather than RGB. RGB is not a very logical format. Illustrator always likes to default back to RGB. So you could have been using HSB on one path, go to select another one, then it's defaulted back to RGB again. With Affinity Designer, that's just not an issue. You know, you choose HSL in that case once, and then that's it, you know. So there's lots of these little niggles that I've had that Affinity Designer actually sort of smooths over. It feels great in that sense. You know, it really does improve my workflow. Yeah. Now, in icon design, how much of the icon are you doing 
freehand stuff versus shapes that are in designer or are there tools within designer that help you draw curves in a perfect curve or how's that all play out it tends to be very geometric based i do uh some vector freehand illustration but that tends to be more my own kind of personal work like doing wildlife illustration in affinity designer using the kind of vector brushes and and sort of free form you know free flow but with icon design it's very much geometric based so what's great about affinity designer is actually the the corner tool i just find really nice just for getting certain shapes that you want it's just a very easy way of dragging corners and radiusing because you don't always necessarily want to have all four corners the same you want to shape where maybe the top left and top right around it in a certain way and with the pencil it just it just feels really smooth that, that interaction of doing it generally the the tools are pretty much the same as illustrator in that sense you know i can do the same kind of things but i think for me it's that feeling of the pencil and how that works as much as the actual application itself now you mentioned you spent a good week just learning designer during that week what kind of things did you pick up on that others may benefit from your learning process there i think it's the gesture controls i certainly coming from illustrator with the desktop i do a lot of things with keyboard shortcuts um and the, there are some keyboard shortcuts with uh, affinity designer if you've got an external keyboard like a smart keyboard or a bluetooth keyboard that's kind of like a, a different way of working that's kind of i had to sort of train myself that that's kind of the old way of working instead of things like using shift to constrain objects to keep them in proportion when i'm resizing then it's a, a single finger press and the one that i use the most which is duplication which is holding two fingers down and then dragging an object and i do that a lot because my style of working is to to work on something reach a certain point drag a copy of it and work on the copy and keep on doing this until I've got the version that I want. Rather than just sort of always focusing on one version, uh, I just find it a much quicker way of working just to keep making these copies and getting around the gesture controls and learning how they work. Because there's a, quite a few of them in the way that they, um, they help you do things without needing that keyboard shortcut. Do you end up using the asset library much where you're able to store kind of things you've developed and use them in other projects? Um, I haven't yet, actually. I did find it very useful today when I needed a heart shape. And it's, it's one of those things that, you know, when you design the icons, there's, a, there's some very common shapes that crop up beyond mm -hmm. the simple circle and square and whatever. And the heart shape was one of them. And I thought, oh, I've got to draw a heart for the th thousandth time. And then I, I had a look in the assets drawer and thought, oh, I'll just you know start off with this so that was quite nice so i think it's one of those features that i haven't really used much until recently but i think i'm going to start using that a lot to keep my own little library of these sort of common shapes are there any other key features or functions of designer that you rely upon day to day i do a lot of things with masking so when i'm doing illustrations i will create a, a large sort of overall mask and then put all my sort of colors and shading and things within the, the shape you know back in the days of illustrator you'd have to sort of draw this and then select the both things and i think it was like a apple 7 i think was the keyboard shortcut to to make a clipping mask but what i love about using affinity designer is that when you've got the layers palette out you can hold and drag a layer and if you drop it in the middle of another layer rather than above or below it it automatically does that. It, it clips to that shape and then hides the overflow. That's some of the technique I use a lot. So doing that in Affinity is, is lovely. That, that whole process of 
just quickly making these clipping masks. It just feels great. You know, just that little bit quicker and smoother than doing it on desktop. Yeah. Now, you mentioned a couple things that Illustrator had that Designer didn't. Is there anything outside of that that you'd like to see come to Designer in an app update? Yeah, I mean, there's things like I'd like to have more control over the SVG output. And it's one of these things that I could have honed, not with Illustrator, but with Sketch. With Sketch, there's a, a plugin for uh, using SVGO, which is the compressor command line interface. Uh, I could get really nicely optimized SVG files coming out of that, especially for things like websites. You know, the, the key is to sort of crank the SVG down to its minimum. So I think the SVG output in Affinity Designer is still a little bit wanting. You know, it's still quite a lot in there. So having to run it through a separate compression tool is a little bit of a pain, but it's not too bad if you do it in bulk. You know, it's a batch process thing, but I'd, I'd love to be able to do that. Actually, that would be great. And you mentioned to use Linea to do your kind of initial ideas. Do you send that file into Designer as kind of a baseline that you overlay on top of? Sometimes. I mean, if it's something that um, I do want to trace, a lot of the time it is just that kind of rough sketch idea, which is enough for me to think, right, okay, I now know how to do this in Designer, and then just flip it, you know, straight into um, in, into Designer. Probably half and half, really. Linear is very good at the whole export thing with the way that you've you can not only just crop and export a, sort of a certain portion of a of page, but also the linear link app that exists on the desktop. In the past, I've used that a lot when I've been sort of going backwards and forwards between things or, you know, assembling sketches to send to a client to show sort of early ideas. Gotcha. And something I'm curious about, you jumped from the first to the third generation. How big of a deal was getting promotion as someone that uses the pencil so much? Oh, yeah, that was that was quite a revelation, really, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, in some ways, the first generation of the iPad, you know, it it felt great. You know, it didn't feel a lot of the tools that around the time you, you were still aware of the lag. The promotion on the on the third gen is is, is fantastic, um, but I think I've already become t- you know taking it for granted. I probably have to go back to the first gen again to to remind myself. So something I want to just ask you is, coming from the physical background of working with actual tools and paper and stuff, what kind of setup would you do there? And is it the same ergonomic issues that would present themselves there that are now on the iPad, or are they different issues? Back in sort of that early time, you'd be using a large uh, drafting table or drawing board. And you could do that. You know, if you imagine if you got a, a big drawing board the same type and had magnets, you could probably sort of mount the iPad onto it. One thing that's difficult there, because I, I do like using an external keyboard uh, with the iPad Pro where possible. So that kind of setup wouldn't work where you've got this large board at an angle you need the keyboard almost mounted in a way too or something yeah you sort of need the keyboard on a flat surface and then so i've actually sort of come around to find find a way around that um because i've tried i've got this little museum of uh ipad stands that i've tried (laughs) which i kind of i keep kind of keep buying these things off amazon you know some of them are really really cheap and you know you find out very quickly that they're not sturdy enough to to draw against yeah um, and up until recently, I was using something called the draft table, which it's only got three settings, only three angles, 
but it's really sturdy. You can really lean against it and it's put your weight in against it and it, it works really well. I've just got in today and I've just, today's the first day I've actually been trying it out. It's one of these sort of weird makes you've never heard of on Amazon called Boyata. And what it basically is, it's a little bit like the, the Surface Studio hinge. So it, it's actually intended for laptops rather than tablets. And it's really sturdy. And what you can do is as well as change the angle, sort of the tilt, you can actually bring it up. You can actually change the height of it. So I've been having a go with that today and having it at an angle, but having it higher. And I found that quite comfortable. I mean, there's an element of you've got to sort of, you know, hold your arms up a little bit. But when you're leaning against the, the iPad, it's not too bad. So I've kind of got the feeling that I'm kind of finding a solution maybe there. It's, there's something yeah. There's something in it that... It's still not quite as nice as the as the full big screen. The big screen that's at uh, where the top of it's at eye level. That's the best for your neck. I haven't quite got that situation yet, but it's better than having it flat on the desk and or slightly angled and then sort of crouching over it. Yeah, for my setup, I don't draw, so it's a little bit different problems I'm trying to solve. But I've got a standing desk, but I'm sitting down and just using the standing desk part of the desk. It's one that you put on top of the table. And that lets you have a platform at eye level where your uh, elbow can kind of rest at a comfortable place, but the iPad's eye level, and it's a pretty nice configuration for the type of work I do, but imagine with drawing, that would be a bit of a challenge. I, I would have to keep sort of lowering it every time I use the desktop. But yeah, it might be worth a try, actually. I hadn't really sort of considered that one. The thing I'll use for when I do occasional drawing, it's discontinued now, but 12 South used to make this laptop stand called the Ghost Stand. It was... Oh, right. And it raises the iPad, if you put it on it, just kind of at a comfortable height if you're typing on a laptop uh, at a table working. It's a nice height for, you know, drawing and it stays put with the little grip on it. Shame they discontinued it because it's, it's a great product. I tried their Park Slope and um, and that was okay, but I found that the, the first-gen iPad, maybe because it had that sort of curved edge, would slip off the front of it quite easily. Yeah. It'd be interesting to try that draft table concept with, like, magnets holding the iPad up and have a keyboard on some kind of stand, like, right next to you. I'm not sure how mm. intensive, you know, you're typing while you're working for drawing projects or if you just need, like, left-hand access for doing keyboard shortcuts or what the situation is. Yeah, I mean, it tends to be sort of flipping between things like Slack and email where I'm having to write messages and then flip back to design. Generally, I am kind of tend to be quite more focused. I mean, that's another advantage of the iPad is the fact that, you know, everything sort of opens up in its own full-screen modal app. We get a bit more sort of, like, focused in each thing. There's still things like, you know, work things you need to respond to. So, you know, you're sort of flipping between actually doing proper typing and then going back to design. So Yeah, you could almost think of, like, a... You know, desks have the little keyboard drawer that rolls out. If you, like, build a keyboard yes. drawer at the bottom of it or something, yeah. or even halfway inside in the middle somehow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, really, to be honest, ideally what I want is a 28-inch sort of iPad Pro screen. Something that I can, like I do with my laptop, you know, not like a separate device with its own kind of CPU or anything, but something I can connect the iPad Pro to so that... Mm -hmm. The iPad Pro is my constant computer, and I use that screen when I'm traveling with it or, you know, at home or something. But then to plug it into a large touchscreen that's 
like the Surface Studio, really, just like on that hinge where you can you can pop it up if you're doing text. You know. Yeah, my vision for one of those is the virtual keyboard. You could have a mode where it's just always up, and you could do keyboard shortcuts or stuff with the virtual. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, that'd be interesting, especially if you start to get lots of tactile screen feedback. Yeah, that would be lovely. I've tried the Surface Studio out in a in a shop. And it was lovely. I mean, it, just the the screen and the way that the hinge worked, I thought was perfect. And I'm really surprised that Apple's not gone that direction with the iMac. It seemed to be missing out, but that would be my ideal, I think. So something we haven't discussed yet is you actually are colorblind and you do design work. Mm. Can you kind of talk about how, like, are you completely colorblind? How does that impact your work? How do you, you manage that with working on the iPad? Yeah, sure. The colorblindness was more of an issue when I was doing kind of natural media stuff and natural paste at work because on a laptop and on the on the iPad, I can sample colors and I can basically look at the, the HSB value, the hue, saturation, brightness. And by looking at that first one, the hue, I can tell what color it is. So the ones I, I struggle with are green and brown, blue and purple. Uh, particularly blue and purple. So, and obviously everything's a spectrum. You know, there's kind of bits like a bluey purple kind of in the middle. Mm-hmm. What I use on my uh, laptop is an app called Color Snapper, which just lives in the menu bar and have a little shortcut that activates it. And it gives you a loop that you put over the screen. So anytime I'm th- looking at a thing, I think I'm wondering, you know, is that the blue or is that purple? And I can look at it and find out, you know, where on the blue spectrum it is, where on the purple spectrum, just by looking at the number. It's really liberating. You know, it's something that was really hard when I was doing like um, acrylic painting and having to, you know, have my sort of set colors where I'd label things and, you know, constantly be having to ask people what a color was. Yeah. On screens, I can I can find out for myself. And that's the one workflow that's a little bit slower on the iPad. There's no kind of equivalent of the way that Color Snapper works on macOS. It's a case of having to do things like a screenshot, bring it into something like Affinity Photo or Designer, and use the eyedropper tool to select the color and find out what it is that way. In the other sense of it, you know what kind of color schemes work, we know what kind of goes together. So even if you're not exactly sure of the color yourself, you know the kind of mathematically what it is and and whether it works. Because within Designer, you'll build out these kind of libraries of colors that you you work within. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of why I do lots of icon design, because it's monochrome. (laughs) I don't have to to worry about it. So (laughs) basically, it's a color confusion thing. So one of the worst things for me is the smaller the color is, the harder it is to differentiate. So things like traditional little like um, tiles you'd get in things like Photoshop, they're kind of color palettes. I find those very hard to use, but you know, having a kind of a larger thumbnail or list view of something where the hue value or, is ne- or name the color or something, that's much easier to navigate that. And obviously you still see color, you know, you still see life in color, but what happens is that those two colors become confused. Uh, another one that I had recently, which is weird, that kind of gray and pink, you know, looking quite similar. So occasionally I slip up and a client asks why it's a certain color that it shouldn't be. or Why isn't it consistently blue when there's one here that's purple? It, it can happen, but generally it, it does it isn't a problem. Now, um, before we wrap it up, I just want to talk a little bit about coding. You do a bit of web development, is that right? Just probably for your own website? Yeah, I mean, I do websites and... I particularly enjoy kind of working with CSS. So a lot of clients, like for example, with Opera, I worked with Opera for 
a good many years. And I used to make uh, UI prototypes using HTML and CSS. So if we wanted to test an idea with a bit of JavaScript, we could just create a little prototype really quickly using HTML and CSS. I did a lot of coding on the desktop using Coda, Panix Coda. Mm -hmm. But that's the one thing that I think I found quite kind of cumbersome on the iPad so far. I mean, code is great because it's it automatically copies the sites that you have on your, your desktop and your clips. Mm-hmm. So all these things are brought across. It's quite nice. Yeah, what challenges do you run up against on iOS that are solved on the Mac with the software available there? I think one of the big things really is the sandboxing. So the fact that you can't run a local web server. You can't do things like node modules or grunt tasks. You can do these things if you have like a, like for example, if I had a separate Mac mini, I could remotely log into that and use that on the iOS. But you can't do that on the actual desktop. And running stuff on a server is important versus doing... Because I think you can do HTML preview, but that's a completely different thing, right? Yeah, so you can do, like in, in Textastic, you can do a very simple kind of local host URL, which previews the HTML and CSS, which is good. But you can't do things like, you know, um, I've been working on a site last week that was using Ruby. Um, mm. and, and that's something you have to have a development server running okay, for that gotcha. to work. Yeah. And also the way that I, I set up my workflow is to have all these kind of panels. So having a list of files on the left, I might have a HTML file, then the CSS, and then a preview, you know, all in one screen. Mm-hmm. And with the iPad, you can almost do that, but the previews are, tend to be, you know, either just in the split view. So you've always got the kind of the mobile view. Yeah, or like a going into a separate you know application each time and sort of switching between the two. So you can do it. That's the thing. It's, it's possible to do all the same things, but at the moment it's just that little bit more cumbersome that I kind of tend to not worry about that too much and just use my my MacBook. Gotcha. And then optimizing images for the web. I know in the article someone recommended Swoosh Web. Is that something you've tried out yet? Yeah, and that works great, especially if you use the the split views on the iPad and drag and drop. It's brilliant. This is optimizing images so they're smaller but still looking good, and this is a yes. web, web yeah. application. Is that right? That's right, yeah. So I mean, it particularly became an issue with the iPad article that I, I published. I think there was one particularly big image in there. It was very hard to do that optimization on the actual iPad. I mean, obviously, you can take things into photo and you can change the JPEG compression, but there's so much more you can do to compress images. So, right. yeah, but that, that works great. And that's one of the great things about doing that post, whereas I had a few things where I said, oh, I haven't found a way of doing this. And, you know, it's great someone replies on Twitter and says, ah, you should try Squoosh. Or the other one was um, Inspect Browser uh, for doing for web inspection. Have you given that one a shot yet? The Inspect Browser? Yes. Yeah, I give that a go. I've bought that. And um, it's one of these things that on the desktop, obviously, web inspection tools are free. So they're part mm-hmm. of the browser and the browser itself is free. But on iOS, if you want something, a proper app, you have to pay for it, really. Right. About £6, I think, to buy Inspect Browser. Having said that, it does everything I need it to. Because I don't need necessarily the the JavaScript console aspects or performance or or even the console log. I think it has a lot of these things, but 
the things I need is the HTML and CSS and the ability to see if I can fix things by changing the CSS live. And I can do that all with an inspect browser. So that's great. So you'll change it live in inspect browser. And if it works, you'll then go to the actual code in the back end and update it yeah. based on that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, on the, on, on the desktop, things like Firefox, you can actually load a local CSS file and overwrite the changes. So you don't have to sort of copy and paste your your fixes across so you can sort of save over it again i've not found if that's possible yet with inspect browser so i need to give that a bit more of a, a bit more of a play really yeah well any topics we didn't cover yet that you'd like to be before we wrap it up there is one thing and it's just the fact that you've probably come across this there are certain people who tell you that you can't work on the ipad pro full-time you know you can't do your your full job and at the same time I come across a lot of people like um, I saw a video of a guy doing using LumaFusion to do his 4K video editing that we mm-hmm. normally do on a big Mac uh, or doing music production. And certainly for me, since last year when Affinity Designer came out, I can do pretty much everything I need to do all on the iPad. So th- there's a little bit of kind of just wanting to contradict people and it's not as much proving to them that you can do it. It's just that kind of the arrogance that that people have this blanket statement of you know, you can't you can't work on the iPad Pro, but you can. It's great. It is, yeah. Podcast production has never been more fun than when I switched over <laughs> to, to Ferrite. Oh yeah, Ferrite's great. That's another app I should mention. Actually, I haven't updated my own podcast for now for for about a year, but um, I've been playing with Ferrite, and I think oh that'd be great. Somehow there's something about that with that makes it a nice like mobile recording studio that. Hopefully, I'll be I'll get back and do another episode. Yeah, and there's a whole plugin architecture now with iOS. I <laughs> recently discovered this app called Bruce Free, which is like desktop class sound removal, where it'll get rid of fan noises, or, you know, hums and electrical noise. Ooh, and does a great that's job great. <laughs> with with doing that. And uh, this is a tool that'd be much more expensive on the Mac, and it's I think it's 15 bucks on iOS. Fantastic. Actually, that's another thing that I've I've not really got to grips with yet, and I need to go back over probably your your previous podcast and that shortcuts because I've I found them quite impenetrable so far, but I know that they're very powerful. And that you can do a lot with them. So I, I oh, need yes. to get to grips with the shortcuts there. Very much so. Mm. And uh, yeah, we do recently had Matthew Castanelli on and he kind of does deep dive in, in shortcuts. So uh, that's a... Yeah, I need to I need to go and digest that. <laughs> well, thank you, John, for your time today. It's been great chatting with you. Uh, hicksdesign.co.uk, is that the best place for people to find you? That, yeah, that that's right. Yeah, and on Twitter at Hicksdesign as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time today. That's great. It's been great chatting with you, Tim. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of iPad Pros. You can find the show notes over at iPadPros.net. You can send your feedback to me at iPadProsPodcast.gmail.com. If you email a voice memo, I'd be happy to include your audio in a future episode. I'm on Twitter at iPadProsPodcast. And as mentioned at the top of the show, if you haven't had a chance to review the show on Apple Podcasts, I highly encourage you to do so. Every review helps send signals to promote the podcast more in search helps other people discover the show. Thank you for your time and attention today. Talk to everyone again real soon. And I know in the past you tested out the Surface Pro 4 for an extensive period of time. What was that experience like versus now with the iPad Pro 3? (laughs) Oh, gosh. I mean... 
the, the, the one I tried was the uh, Pro 4. I'm not sure what number they're up to now, but what um, the, the hardware was good, the actual tablet hardware itself, because it has this integrated kickstand, which is something that, uh, you know, I struggled with the iPad Pro, and you know, I'd, I'd love Apple to have actually thought about that kind of um, way of using it. Um, it, was an, it gave you a really nice drawing angle, but also a really nice uh, viewing angle as well. So, and it was very adjustable. It was stable enough to apply pressure to draw. It wouldn't yeah. fall back. Yeah, it's only in its lowest in its lowest setting. It was okay. just an ideal ideal angle. But then the actual pen itself, um, it felt a little bit like a cheap biro. Um, and then the actual the tip of it, which was very strange, because you could just perceive this kind of general like a button press at the end. You know, it wasn't uh, rigid like the the iPad pencil. Huh. It had this tiny little sort of click as you pressed it in. And you had to click it in for it to output properly? No, not necessarily, actually. Okay. Um, it, you know, it did have the good sensitivity and it would still pick up a very light touch. But you would feel this slight kind of light depression going in, um, which was a bit weird. Um, but generally, the, I'd say the, the hardware I liked, but uh, the software just wasn't right. I mean, it was... Uh, you've got the advantage on the Surface Pro of using the full desktop apps. So you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, as they've made a version of Photoshop, for example, yet, you know, because it, it, Photoshop's there, you can just use it. But at the same time, um, it's coming at it from the desktop angle still, and it's not necessarily the most optimized for touch. I mean, this, this was, I mean, this two years ago now, so the things may have improved since then, but um, I just found the whole experience very frustrating. And I tried using Illustrator uh, with a pen. And it just, I think one of the things with things like, you know, um, palm rejection. So, for example, you know, palm rejection worked most of the time, but I would often um, activate some menus on the bottom right of the taskbar. Or I'd be sort of pinch zooming in and out in, in Illustrator, and it would actually draw, you know, a sort of a scribble of the, the pinch rather mm. than actually zoom. And yeah, I just, yeah. And, and then finally, you know, you, you start it up and you get the blue screen saying that Windows encountered a problem. So yeah, it was, yeah. It, it was, it, it should have been the right solution. You know, it mm-hmm. should have been brilliant, but it wasn't. And the iPad Pro actually was the one where even though it was a kind of still quite a new operating system um, and the app still hadn't quite been developed for it. In the early days, I used a lot of um, Adobe Draw mm-hmm. app on the the iPad. Something that was actually specifically designed for that device, it made such a difference. So, yeah, it's... Yeah, one of my favorite Adobe apps for iPads, Adobe Comp. I'm not sure if you've played with that mm, at all. Yeah, yeah, I've had a play with that, yeah. That is one of the most just intuitive apps for doing simple designs I've found. And it's just like... It's Adobe thinking about the iPad in a way that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, the, a lot of these apps, like, so you use Adobe Sketch as well. Um, they're all kind of very pared back. And, and obviously, over, over time, they add more features that are more useful. But um, obviously, they don't have that same sort of feature set as, uh, say, like desktop apps. Uh, but th- with things like Comp, it's ideal, isn't it? It, it very much kind of, uh, it doesn't need to be much more than that. yeah. One of my favorite ideas they use is the whole idea of sliding this little thing next to text to resize it more very fluidly as you're mm. designing something out. Yeah, definitely. 